0: Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 407. Today is March 17th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Hey, I wanna to talk to you today about something that's really relevant. It's relevant to what's going on in this market. And this is also one of these evergreen topics that's gonna to be relevant whenever you listen to it because we're gonna discuss the business cycle which, as the term implies, is a cycle, and so at one point or another, we're always in the cycle, we're just at a different phase of it. Right now, we happen to be probably entering into a recession with our economy, and that's going to be the contraction side of the curve that we're currently in, and we're going to talk and discuss all that in a minute, and this is totally relevant to what's going on in the headlines in terms of the bank failures and the liquidity crisis, and all the other fear and trepidation that you hear going on, but we're just not going to simply talk about bank failures because, hey, that's so passe. Before we get to talking about the business cycle, though, couple things. Number one, I've been late in getting this information out, but the first annual and perhaps the only April Fool's Day personal economic unconference in Vegas is definitely on... I finally got around to making my hotel reservations I'll be staying at the Palazzo Tower at the Venetian that's a good central location it's right on the strip so wherever you may be in Vegas you can easily catch the monorail and come by and visit me I'll be there all day Friday all day Saturday I'm leaving sometime on Sunday so I'm not committing to any kind of meetings or anything on Sunday And since this is an unconference about the hidden hand and spontaneity of the economy, well, nothing is planned. There's no keynote speakers. There's no PowerPoint presentations. There's no admission fees. There's not even a meeting room. I don't know if or who may show up. My birthday is the week before, so I am planning on celebrating my birthday. All my friends told me they would be coming, So I figure, you know, the three of us will probably go to dinner. Hopefully they'll buy because it's, you know, my birthday. And if you happen to be in town in Vegas, you're welcome to swing by and join us, especially if I'm not paying for dinner and you don't have to visit us for dinner. Like I say, I'm going to be there all day Friday, all day Saturday. I'm putting myself out there. I'll be available for any kind of a well-steady meetup that people might want to have. This is going to be a personal economic unconference, so that suggests small group meetings, again, if anybody shows up. And then finally, and fourth most, I'll be there for personal business meetings. If you want to meet one-on-one privately, well, hey, you can come on up to my suite, and we can discuss your personal situation. And that's whether you want to talk about your portfolio or my company's investment management services or you want to get my opinion about a business venture, uh, you know, I'm opening this up to any and all questions. And since it's April Fool's Day, I will even take questions from the five dumbest listener question category. So there it is. There are the details. If you plan on being there, let me know. I'm sure a member of the planning committee will get in touch with you. Okay, next item, and this is actually related to today's topic, And that's the blog and notification alerts over at investablewealth.com. Today I put out there a chart, and I'm going to be talking about that chart today. So if you're having a hard time visualizing what I'm talking about, go over to investablewealth.com. There's an alerts and blog tab. If you click that, the most recent one will come up. That's the one that I put out there today. You can always scroll through those and read anything that I've written about for the past decade it's all there and if you'd like to subscribe for free to those notifications also if you look up in the top menu or depending on how you're looking the website but check out the menu there's a subscribe tab and you can simply put in your email address you'll be on the list I don't spam you I don't sell your information I don't even personally care if you sign up but it is there it's a free service you can unsubscribe at any time If you think you're subscribed and you're not receiving the notifications, most likely they're going to your spam folder. So check there. Make sure you're whitelisting anything coming from investablewealth.com or wealthsteading.com. And if you've done all that and you're still not receiving notifications and you think you signed up, well, reach out to me and we'll do some forensic research on it and figure out why you're not receiving the emails. Okay, enough of all that. What's going on in the market? Well, you've heard me say that I'm not panicked and I'm not concerned with all the volatility and the bank failures and the multitude of crazy things that go on in the market on a day-to-day basis. And for the most part, the reason I am a little bit apathetic about the whole thing is that I'm about 90% in cash, meaning that my money is parked in a money market fund It's earning a nice competitive interest rate and the money is 100% liquid. So, if I decide to jump into the market, or for that matter, if I get a great deal on a new house or a car or whatever, I can easily have access to that money and make the purchase. Okay, the other thing I've been saying through all this panic is that the bank failures and the other things that are going on, and this is whether you look at something like the failure of FTX or the failure of Silicon Valley Bank or what's going on with Credit Suisse, or again, all these other big headline events you see in the media, none of these yet are black swan events. We may get to a point where we have a black swan event, but for right now, none of them are. And one of the ways you can know that is that the market hasn't dropped 25 or 30% over a period of a day or two. Oh yeah, it's been volatile, but it's still pretty much hanging in there, especially with the S&P 500, right around key moving averages like it's 200-day moving average. So there's still quite a bit of resilience in the stock market. And if we really had a true black swan event, that wouldn't happen. You'd see major panic, fear, trepidation, and a big decrease in the indices. We're not seeing that yet, so obviously these are not black swan events. And furthermore, I postulate that these are not black swan events simply because A black swan event is something that is unexpected, right? By definition, that's what a black swan is. Well, all the things we're seeing right now are quite predictable. So they're not unexpected. These things would have been anticipated. That gets into today's topic about business cycles. And again, what's happening right now is not an unusual occurrence. We've peaked out because of overstimulation, And an overexpansion of the economy and things like speculation and greed and easy Federal Reserve monetary policies and excessive spending on the budget and fiscal side from the government, along with the reopening of the global economy coming out of COVID. I mean, these things have all put us at the top of a business cycle and business cycles always have a top. So in terms of the cycle, what we're seeing is not any different than has happened, you know, thousands of times over the years. What's different this time is that it did come from the post-COVID or post-pandemic era, but that's really about the only thing that's different. You know, the characters, their names change, but the motives and the opportunities, those remain constant over time. And so this is why I'm encouraging people not to be panicked but to simply understand where you're at in the cycle and what's likely to happen as this plays out and what the future opportunities will be. Okay, so if you look at that chart that I posted over at investablewealth.com, you'll see a chart that shows a blue wave. It sort of looks like a sine wave. It's a little bit oblonged and asymmetrical, but generally it's sort of like a sine wave. And on the left-hand side of that chart, it says old cycle peak. Because remember, this is cyclical. Things go up, they go down, they go up, they go down. So you have to have an old and a new. And right now we're just coming out of an old cycle peak. And these cycles are composed of two parts. There's a contraction phase where things go down, and there's an expansion phase where things go up. So the contraction phase is on the left, the expansion phase is on the right. In the middle part of that chart, in the middle part of that sort of sine wave, I've got it marked as depression. And if you look at it, that's, that's the downward part, right? It goes down at bottoms and it comes back up. Well, that dip in economic terms is referred to as a depression. Now, we don't use that term in modern times because everybody associates an economic depression with what happened in the you know, late 1930s. But in pure economic terms and in definition of that dip that you see on a chart, that is a depression, okay? Not a scary depression like there's going to be 30% unemployment. It's simply a depression, like a hole in the ground is a depression. So the depression is made of two phases, the contraction phase on the left and the expansion phase on the right. You combine those two together and you get that dip. Again, it looks sort of like a sine wave. So looking at the left-hand side of that chart under the old cycle peak, it starts out with bullet points as we go down that contractionary phase. And at the very top of that old peak, I have listed there, Fed tightens to fight inflation. Now, let me back up here a second too. These bullet points that I have here, especially the ones in green that are on the right-hand side, they're in a general order of sectors that are going to recover as you go into the expansionary phase. And I don't have them on here, but the corollary to that is that these are also the ones that are declining on the left-hand side, right? Because it's a cycle, but they're not exact. Now, they're not always going to be exactly the same. Maybe consumer discretionary performs better than real estate, or maybe real estate performs better than industrials. But generally, The way I have them listed there is a pretty normal order, and they can move up and down a little bit. But that's just to give you an idea of what's going to happen as we move forward. And even consequently, these bullets as I have going down, same thing. They're not written in stone in that exact order, but generally this is going to be what happens. And and I would say the top and the bottom, the top and bottom events on the left-hand side, I would say generally are almost hard, fast rules written in stone. I'm digressing here. Let's let's just read them. Okay, coming out of the peak of the old cycle, the first thing is the Fed tightens interest rates to fight inflation, right? That's what we've seen going on here for the last more than a year and very aggressively in the last six months. So number one, when you're coming off the peak, the biggest reason that the economy and the stock market and everything else, the reason that you go into that contractionary phase and you head into a depression or a recession is first and foremost because the Federal Reserve wants one. They want to cool off the economy. And that's exactly why they tighten up their monetary policies and raise interest rates and restrict lending. So when you see things like bank failures and you see things like zombie companies unable to refinance their debt or unprofitable companies unable to make payroll and inventories building because consumers don't have consumer credit loans to buy new things like houses or cars or cell phones or whatever like none of this is a black swan event none of this is unexpected none of this is a failure of the system this is actually the system working exactly the way that the economic planners want it to work. Again, you may not like that, but that's simply the way the world works. Okay, so moving on down that chain of events, after the Fed starts tightening up monetary policy, credit dries up, banks don't loan, then consumption slows down. Consumers don't have money to buy new stuff, especially non-discretionary things. And that means that business inventories build up. And if businesses can't sell the stuff they have in inventory, they're obviously not going to borrow more money to expand, to build larger factories, to make more stuff. And so it's a snowball effect. It's a downward spiral of the economy. That moves you farther down the contraction phase of the depression. And if businesses have increasing inventories, and if their sales either stay flat or go down... That means they have declining corporate profits, and that's the next little bullet there. Corporate profits decline. You've heard me now for probably, I don't know, six months saying that I believe that forward estimated profits are much more exaggerated than they're likely going to be, and we've seen this with first quarter. First quarter profits came in a good six or more percent lower than what the projections were at the end of 2022. So corporate profits are in decline. Again, this isn't a secret. This isn't unexpected. It's not a black swan event. It's exactly what happens as you move through the contractionary phase of the business cycle. And as this spiral keeps moving downward, that last little bullet point I have there on the left is that the Fed starts to stimulate to fight the recession, right? Because they don't want us to go into an economic collapse. And so, just like they started the chain of events going down by raising rates at the top of that peak, as we get down towards the bottom, one of the last things you could guarantee is the Federal Reserve will reverse policy and they'll start to stimulate the economy. That's what a lot of people have been excited about for the most part of this year. I mean, up until we had these bank failures, you had a huge amount of people thinking that the Fed were going to pause or pivot on their interest rate policy. And that's why you saw so many tech sectors and the meme stocks and, you know, a big resurgence and all the junk that had collapsed. You saw a big resurgence where people came in to buy the dip because they thought that the Fed was going to start stimulating. Well, I didn't jump on that bandwagon and start buying stocks over the last you know, month or so And one of the primary reasons for this, beside the fact that I don't think the Fed is ready to start stimulating yet or even pause, but again, we don't know. It's all policy decisions. They could come out next week and change their mind. So we don't know when they will start to stimulate or when they will pause. We know they will. But here's the point. Look at that chart. When the Fed starts to stimulate, that's not the bottom of the cycle. That's not the trough. That's not the lowest point. Now, we can't predict the future. We don't know if it'll be different this time, but if you look at any of the previous cycles in history, the bottom is never put in until after the Fed loosens up on monetary policy. If you're just listening to my words, you may not fully grasp what I'm saying, so go look at that chart. The ultimate lowest point of that depression, the very trough or the bottom of that cycle, where I have a big panic with exclamation points. That in the past has never occurred until after the Fed stimulates. So, for example, just like the market didn't peak immediately when the Fed started to raise rates, right? there was a delay process, the same thing happens at the very bottom. The Fed comes in, they try and avert a crisis, they ease up on monetary policy, they lower interest rates. They try and encourage banks to start loaning again, but it's not enough. The momentum of the contractionary phase keeps moving. And so sometime in the future, after the Federal Reserve eases up, is when you actually get that final exhaustion of panic and the stock market will bottom. Now, will that happen two weeks later, six months later, 18 months later? We don't know. Because we can't predict the future. That's why there's always risk and uncertainty in investing. And as a side note here, if you're listening to someone that's telling you that they can absolutely pinpoint that bottom, well, maybe you should think about listening to someone else. Ah, but now on to the good news. Do you know what happens once you hit a bottom? Even though we don't know exactly where it's going to be, and if there's one bottom or two bottoms or... Uh, inverse head and shoulders pattern, or whatever it is. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but here's what we do know. Once there's a bottom, there's a bottom. And that means that you go into the right-hand side, which is the expansion phase of that curve. And again, on my chart, listed in green, are different sectors of the economy. It may not play out this way exactly, but in general, what starts to happen Once you get through that panic, once the stock market has bottomed, then certain sectors start to perform better than others. For example, the way I have listed here, financials and real estate start to outperform faster than other sectors. And this sort of makes sense if you think about it. Remember, the Federal Reserve has lowered rates at this point, and in past crises, they've taken them down to near zero. So money is essentially free, and when people have access to free money, what do they do when well, they go out and buy stuff? And so the biggest purchase that an individual makes or the biggest general purchase that a business would make would be acquiring real estate. So real estate tends to do well off the bottom. And then hand in glove along with that because people are borrowing money. That means that the banks are making loans, and if the banks are making loans, and especially if they're being backed up by easy monetary policy, that means that the banks and the financial sector are starting to do well. And so off the bottom, companies and stocks in those sectors start to do pretty well, along with consumer discretionary companies. Again, you know, going into the recession, people had to cut back. They can't afford to buy luxuries or non-discretionary items. Well, as soon as they get employed again, or as soon as the banks start lending, or as soon as they start feeling good about their future, well, they start buying stuff. So consumer discretionary stocks and companies start to do really well. And then the industrials kick in, right? Everything from airlines to infrastructure to the manufacturing sector starts to do better because inventories are depleted, consumers are buying again, banks are loaning again, and you need more stuff so industrial companies do well and then as this expansion filters through the economy with more consumers buying more stuff and more real estate being developed more inventories being depleted more sales being made that means that businesses have to reinvest they need to buy more materials they need to invest in more infrastructure they need to make their operations more efficient so things like technology and communications and the use of energy and materials, these are all the next phases of the recovery process. And as you get into that energy and materials phase, that's where inflationary pressures really start to kick in. And so your late cycle recovery at that point, you're getting very near to the next peak of the cycle. And when you get to that point, price of copper and gasoline and natural gas and all these things have skyrocketed, you know you're getting towards the top of the next peak, and we know what happens there, right? The Federal Reserve comes in and tightens monetary policy to fight inflation. And so people know that's about to occur, and so they start to move into what's looked at as more recessionary-type industries, which would be utilities and staples and healthcare. And so as you get to the very top of that peak, just before everything falls apart, that's what's going to be outperforming. Utilities, staples, healthcare. All these things that I'm talking about should pretty much sound like what's been unfolding for the last six months or so, especially with people moving into utilities and staples and healthcare. Now, again, things won't play out exactly this way, but this is the business cycle. It's called a cycle because it repeats itself. We are living through the contractionary phase of it right now. I'm not worried or concerned because I know what happens on the other side of the cycle. That's the expansionary phase. That's the easiest time to make money, especially the closer you get into buying near that bottom. And that's also why I have marked on that chart at the very top in red, with an arrow pointing to the top of the next cycle peak, of speculation and fraud unwinds. And again, that's what we've just seen with things like the collapse of FTX and the SPAC companies. And we're seeing it with most of the meme stocks being down a good, you know, 60 to 80%. Now, a lot of that stuff still has to go bankrupt, right? That's how we know we're not at the bottom. That's when the ultimate panic will set in. But the other way of identifying the top of the peak is that all that speculation, all that greed all the fraudsters that came in and dwindled people out of their money, that's when all that unwinds and collapses. Again, we're seeing that now. Those are not black swan events. Those shenanigans are just part of the cycle. Now let me close on this final thought. And again, this is why I'm not panicked by the headlines. I know we're just going through phases in the cycle. And look at the way I've drawn that chart. It's specifically asymmetrical for a reason. It's not an actual sine wave. It's canted to one side. And that's the big takeaway. The new cycle peak is always, I want to reinforce this, it's always higher than the previous peak. It's always been that way in the past. It will always be that way in the future. How do I know when I can't predict the future? Because there's always a winner and the companies, and the industries, and the sectors, and the investors, and the small businesses, all those categories of groups and people that are creating the new cycle peak, they're the new winners. They're the new leadership. They're going to stand on the shoulders of everybody that came before them. They're going to look back in history with 2020 hindsight, and they're going to know what technology worked and what didn't. They're going to know who the good employees are and who the good employees aren't. They're going to know which government policies worked and which ones didn't. What that business cycle chart shows you is that there's always progress. And there will always be winners. And most times, the new winners are an entirely different category than the old winners. So, you know, 50, 60 years ago, the companies that were at the top of their cycle Oh, that was General Electric, General Motors, U.S. Steel. These were big industrial conglomerates that were the powerhouse of their day. It used to be said what's good for General Motors is good for America. Well, that changed over the years. And in the past 10 or so years, it's been FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. But those sectors and those industries are getting long in the tooth. And so, very likely, if history rhymes with itself, as we come off of this next bottom and into the new expansionary phase, there will be new leadership. And some of the old boys club from the old leadership may still be around, but for the most part, it'll be new technologies, new companies, new sectors. And what are they? Well, I can't predict the future. So, to find out... Come on back for future episodes. Until then, as always, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.